Hey, it's Stacia D. And it's Jay's Dan. Welcome back to In Retrospect Podcast, where we look beyond the surface to find understanding. Bring you laughs, knowledge, and culture. So sit back, relax, and join the convo. Today, as you can see, we have a very special guest by the name of Josh Myers. He has worked in entertainment as a production assistant, showrunner assistant, and most importantly, a writer. So just so that we can better understand like you and where you come from, take us back to like the beginning. How did you go from South Carolina to now California? Yes. So like they said, hey, everybody, my name is Joshua Myers, um, and I am a writer originally from South Carolina, a very small town called Blythewood, South Carolina, if anyone has heard of it, probably not. <laughs> Basically, the country part of uh, Columbia. Um, and yeah, so I, I grew up uh, just loving anything creative, anything where I can get my hands a little messy, whether I was painting, drawing, coloring, writing, anything like that. Um, and very early on, my parents instilled a love of literature um, in all their kids. You know, it was very important for them and for us to be reading and writing as much as possible. And that just kind of fostered my love for writing. I found that I was very good at creating stories, creating worlds, um, probably because I was, and still am, a pretty shy and introverted. So if I wasn't in front of a TV, I was probably just sitting in the corner of a room watching everybody and listening to conversations and how people spoke with one another, how they elaborated their storytelling and which, in hindsight, I guess is the way I started working on uh, my ability to write dialogue. And so, um, yeah, so I was just always doing something creative, but as a life and society has a tendency to do over time, it's like, forget whatever makes you happy, find something stable and boring and secure <laughs> and just do that for the next 50 years and retire. And I was pretty much doing that. I went on to Coastal Carolina where I was a public health major, graduated and moved to Charleston, South Carolina where I worked at a health insurance company, um, pretty much calling uh, our members, as we called them, the people subscribed to that health insurance yeah. company. Um, they don't like when you call them anything else besides some, <laughs> some people become very, no, I'm so serious, so serious. Some people mm -hmm. become very anal if yes. you call them, say a donor or somebody mm -hmm. that just gives money, you gotta call them a member because it sounds mm -hmm. more aesthetically pleasing to the air. But hey, that's neither here nor there. But thank you for the organization. I would say. <laughs> I guess. It, it's. I mean, it's so true. They were very particular about what we called them, and I have an, another story that's going to relate to the writing um, later in that regard. But yeah, so I was at this health insurance company, just calling Medicare, Medicaid members all day, checking on them, making sure they were you know, taking care of uh, their health plans and their health. They never were. And um, I was just so miserable. I was so bored, um, so unfulfilled. And even though I was technically using my public health major, kind of a stretch to say that, but I, I was at least in, somewhat in the field. I was just so miserable. And I just couldn't figure out why I was so unhappy. Um, and then I reconnected with some friends from college because Charleston has a huge poetry scene. And so um, I would start attending their poetry readings and that just reinvigorated my love for writing. Um, I wasn't a poet, but 
again, I just love telling stories. And so at the time, my writing journey actually started as me wanting to be a novelist. So I actually wrote a book that has never seen the light of day, probably never will, in this book form. No title? No name? Uh, 18. Okay. It was called 18, now being adapted as a, a film. Uh, or screenplay. Um, but um, yeah, so I wrote this book and I had this writer's group and they were always telling me, I really think you should get into screenwriting. I really think you should get into screenwriting. And so I just kind of took the dive, um, honestly. And uh, it was kind of starting on social media. Um, I'm 31, going on 32, really going on like 98. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look your age. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but at this point, this I was in my late 20s. This was 2018, and um, I didn't have social media. And so I downloaded Instagram and started kind of just cold DMing people I looked up to in the industry as I, again, just kind of started the screenwriting journey and started looking up in the credits who wrote this and who produced that and who was the showrunner on this. And I just started reaching out uh, blindly <laughs> with uh chapters of my book i would you know reach out to somebody hey you know young up and coming black writer connecting with another do you want to read a few chapters of my book for the most part never heard anything back which mm -hmm. i understand um especially since i always say my page looked like a russian bot because i had no profile picture no followers i only followed rihanna and so <laughs> i probably look crazy I mean, very, maybe. I, I, I really want to ask you something, Josh, because you're hitting on something that a lot of folks don't do when they're trying to get themselves or put themselves in position to succeed. You got to put yourself out there first and foremost, which you're, you're saying you're doing. You're reaching out to folks that you don't know, that have mm -hmm. no relations to you, don't know anything about you. You're mm -hmm. putting yourself on the line. But I just want you to talk about that process just a little bit more, as well as hit on just the uh, the whole aspect of people saying, I don't want nobody else to see my work. They're going to steal my work. That's my work. Before we, I'm sorry. Before yeah, I'm sorry. we, oh no, it's okay. Before we jump ahead, because that is good, Justin. I do want to know that. I wanted to point out the fact that you said um, when you were young, you were you were a reader and writer, mm -hmm. and you like to observe. You were quiet, so like I feel like the most quiet people, of course, you're observant, right? And so a lot of times that gives you a lot of creativity, especially mm -hmm. to yourself. But exactly. also, I, I like the fact that your parents nurtured the fact that you're a writer. Cause I feel like a lot of times, like you said, parents are more, more so like, okay, when are you going to school? Or are you going to military? Yep. <laughs> are you going yep. to school, <laughs> you adopt a lawyer, you know, what's going on? So it's nice that you had sort of, it, it was nurtured, but I guess, I don't know what made you, you know, go a different route in college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll touch on both. Um, with my parents, because to them, education was everything. I have parents that grew up in um, the Jim Crow South. And, you know, people always ask me, oh, is it really that bad? Because I always say I escaped from South Carolina. Oh, was it really that bad? Was it really that racist? And I just always say the Civil War started in South Carolina, and that's where I'm from. You know, those Confederate uh, soldiers had children who had children who had children who had children who are now sheriffs and politicians and lawyers. So, yes, it's that bad. But, um, but for them, one of the key aspects of survival and success was education. So they promoted in us a very healthy appetite to learn and also stress the importance of that being the key to our futures. Um, 
you know, when I was younger, even though I didn't need it, my mom was very quick with the hook, <laughs> hooks on the phonics where um, even before it was technically around the time, you know, most parents start teaching kids how to read. It was like, all right, do an hour of hooks on phonics, then you go to bed or, you know, 30 minutes of hooks on phonics, then go play. And so by the time I got to elementary school, I was already, uh, Laura, I feel like I feel like I'm talking about myself too much, but you know I was already reading on a middle school level. As my was my older brother who used to travel around Columbia, um, reciting his own poetry and doing the I have a dream speech. So it was all about education and reading, and they uh, truly fostered that in us. And um, I think because I was able to truly analyze and um, think critically about what I was reading, it made it that much easier to then replicate it in writing and understanding how, not just how to write something down, but how to write something in a way that made people want to finish the book or watch the TV show. Mm -hmm. um, and to address the other point, uh, yes, so even though I'm just talking on and on, I still am a you know pretty shy and introverted person, but I'm also very ambitious and very determined. And so, um, yeah, I just started reaching out to people because um, I, I was still living in South Carolina at the time. This is 2018. I had no other way of how to figure out how to get someone to possibly uh, respond. I figured if I reached out to a thousand people, I might get one response. Mm -hmm. And even if that response wasn't what I was looking for, it's a crack in the door because, oh, you responded back to me. I got you now. So every now and then I'm going to send that, hey, just hope you're, you know, well, what's going on? How's life? You know, kind of uh, email. And that's what's that's what kind of started the journey, just reaching out, just um, trying to establish connections. And um, I did have the fear of oh, what if somebody steals my work, which this is when I first started writing. So looking back, nobody would have wanted that. <laughs> that was very early on, didn't know what I was doing. But, um, you know, it was the leap of faith. Blind trust in the legal system that hopefully they would be like, well, if he sends this out, he probably has documentation that he's been working on this. Let me not steal it in case I get hit with a lawsuit. And so just a lot of faith in guessing. I feel like... Um... A lot of people, especially from South Carolina or just towns that are not, you know, the bigger cities, right? Atlanta mm -hmm. or New York, wherever, you don't really think that you can reach certain spaces mm -hmm. just based on where you're from, right? Because right. all you know is what you know. A lot of folks do feel as if, though, that, you know, at times their work is so pristine that somebody may steal it or do this, that, and the third. Um, I mean, you're not going to move forward unless you put yourself out there. Sometimes you've got to take a loss, you know, to win or take a bunch of losses in mm -hmm. order to win. And exactly. that's just something that a lot of people have a hard time accepting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but exactly. also, like, I don't, I'm not wishing this on you, but let's say someone mm -hmm. did, <laughs> you know what I mean? Steal your work. Yeah. You're creative. You can make more. Like, it would suck, but mm -hmm. if you're working, you're able to create more. That's just like when comedians steal jokes. It mm -hmm. sucks. Mm -hmm. But your talent speaks for itself and you'll create something that's even better than what it is that they took to begin with. Right. And if they were to take it, they wouldn't have been able to do it the way I would have. Exactly. And so, um, and like you say, you can create more. And 
and that's just what I was trying to do. Just keep creating, just keep pushing. Um, uh, I've started watching different TV shows from a different angle. Cause again, it, I was always watching as a fan, but then I tried to start watching as a student. Um, and again, it's just studying those credits and studying IMDB and who can I reach out to? Who can I find on Instagram? You kind of become a little bit of a detective. You know, you might dig up a couple emails here and there and just start reaching out and especially uh, people's assistants. Cause you know, so many people try to think, oh, if I reach out to, I don't know, let's say Oprah, I'm gonna get in, but you need to get in with the people controlling the schedules. Cause as someone who worked as an assistant, that's the key. Like, be nice to them because, first of all, they're not looking to be professional assistants. They're looking to be the next Issa Rae, the next Donald Glover, the next Barry Jenkins, and they're on their way. And so if you skip over them or act as if they don't exist, by the time they are those people, they're going to remember you like, oh, you're that person that was rude to me. No, I'm not working with you. Or even if they're still working as an assistant, you're rude to them. You know, they just kind of whisper to their boss, you don't want to work with that one. I'm not going to even schedule this one. Or, you know, they just happen to miss that email. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, how, how intense does the role of the scheduler really get? Because I don't think a lot of folks really understand how intense mm -hmm. the job really is. Yeah, it's kind of the key to everything. Because, you know, there are so many people, and not saying anything about anyone, but just in general, once you hire an assistant, you know, they have, a job that they're supposed to do. So they're probably not checking their emails. They're not always sure who's on the calendar. Uh, they can be in the middle of a meeting and still trying to be like, which one is this? Justin? Okay, gotcha. And so, you know, uh, the person scheduling their, e um, their meetings, the person in charge of the emails, that person is the key to everything. They might even say uh, to their assistant, um, Hey, you know, some people just sent me some scripts, read the first 10 pages of each one. If you like it, then I'll read it. If you don't put it in the trash, because that's what most assistants are doing at these different pr uh, production companies and uh, agencies where they're looking, you know, people are, let's say, um, reaching out to an agent or a manager to try to get representation. The agent isn't reading those hundreds of scripts they get a week. They have assistants and interns who read the scripts. And even then, they're usually, because you know people are busy, they might read the first five pages, maybe 10. If you don't hook them then, they just put it in the trash. Mm -hmm. And so even if your cover page isn't formatted correctly, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand basic structure, put it in the trash. So the assistants are the lifeblood of Hollywood, honestly. Um. So you said that you you sent out all of these different DMs like, hey, yeah. <laughs> I really I would love to work with you. Mm -hmm. Got a lot of no's, but who was mm -hmm. that? Yes, who was your first yes into the door? So I actually um, reached out to um, James Bland, the phenomenal um, actor, writer, director, producer, creator, um, who created Giants. He's uh, written on um, The Best Man uh, recently on Peacock, just a phenomenal talent. And um, he did a web series, um, or excuse me, a webinar called Create Your Giants, where he was basically kind of giving pointers on how he created this huge web series that won Emmys and, you know, phenomenal series, by the way. Phenomenal series. And 
Um, I attended his webinar and then um, afterwards just followed up, which is always key, always follow up. And I just, you know, sent like a follow up message. Hey, that was amazing. Thank you so much. He responded. And then again, from there, that's kind of the foot in the door. So every few months I would just reach out and just say, hey, hope you're well. Hey, Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, comment on a IG post, whatever. Um, and at the same time, I also reached out to someone um, in uh, Easter race camp at the time. And <laughs> and then one day um, as uh, I was keeping in touch with both of them, just kind of every now and then, hey, hope you're well. And then one day I sent a message to both of them saying, hey, I'm going to be in L.A. this weekend. Maybe I'll you know, see you around. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thinking that both of them would be like, I don't know you. So, no, I'm not going to meet up with you in person. And then both of them actually responded and said, all right, cool. Let me know when you land. And I was just like, oh, oh, I was not planning on that. <laughs> and so. Uh, this was like a, a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Now, again, I told them I was going to be in L.A. that weekend. I hadn't taken off work. I didn't have a plane ticket. I didn't have a hotel. Nothing. Oh, I thought so, you were actually planning to. to no. Because, oh, uh, you know, every, every successful story always starts just like this. I got $9 in my pocket. I got right. the country. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I gotta get there. This is how every right. successful story begins. Okay, yeah. moving in faith. Yeah, that's exactly what I, that was just delusional. Sounds like the Steve Harvey um story. You say he barely had money in his pocket. He had to get to New York. <laughs> Again, I'm thinking they'll just be like, I don't know you. You're a stranger. You might be a serial killer. I'm not gonna meet up with you. And both of them just said, All right, cool. Let me know when you land. We'll get coffee. So then I had to figure out that whole trip and excuse me, just a couple of days, get to LA, met up with both of them. Um, and then luckily the, at the time, the person in the Easter Ray camp, as they were working on scripted um, podcasts, which were huge at the time, um, actually also read the chapters of the book. I sent him and liked them. And so um, we somewhat were going to start working on a scripted podcast series based on this book I'd written. But um Unfortunately, that fell through, but it was also such a huge blessing because uh, he was like, oh, read this um, uh, script I'm going to send you and get in, I'm going to get you in touch with the person who wrote it. He was writing, uh, who went on to be my mentor. His name is Mike Goyo, wonderful writer for Send Help on All Black, Jenny and Georgia on Netflix, Insecure on HBO. Um, but at the time, he was working on Easter Ray scripted podcast series Fruit. And so I uh, got in touch with Mike. Um, and then after a while, of course, you know, went back to uh, South Carolina and just kept in touch with Mike um, over the years or excuse me, over the months. And then after a while, he said, hey, before I try to find a, an assistant locally, since you always kept in touch, since you were always you know, so responsive, uh, would you want the position? And so I actually started working as Mike's assistant from South Carolina. So I pretty much woke up, did my nine to five, came home, had dinner, and then stayed up till like three in the morning, East Coast time, working on Mike's stuff remotely as he was on West Coast time. And I did that for months. Um, he would always say, when are you going to move to LA? When are you going to move to LA? Oh, I'm not moving. I don't, you know, I don't think I'm ready. I don't even know what that's like. I'm from a small town. I've never even... I don't know if I can do it. 
um, he would ask me that weekly. And I just thought he has the worst memory. And so, um, I need to move. I need to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll never forget. It was a day in April, um, a Tuesday in April. I was walking into Groucho's Deli um, to pick up my lunch um, on my lunch break from work. And Mike just happened to call, hey, when you moving to L.A.? And um, I just thought he's going to forget again. He always forgets. So I just said, yeah, I'll move to L.A. He said, all right, see you in August and hung up. And then I picked you up my phone. plans you don't have again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, it, was that, it was that simple for him. And when I walked out of the uh, deli, I was already calling my mom like, all right, so it looks like I'm moving to L.A. in August. And like I, I mentioned, um, you know, earlier, August 19th, I moved to L.A. that same year, 2019. Hmm. And so that's how and I moved in L.A. Yeah. And, and Josh, you know, after all that has taken place and amazing story to say, I, I must <laughs> say that is extremely amazing. Uh, a lot of mind games being played, but, but nonetheless, it, it seems to all have worked in your favor. Uh, hmm. Would you say that you feel that, though, you know, you are where you thought you would be, like where you envisioned you'd be at right now in your career, or as far as like, hey, I want to reach out to all these individuals and see if I can get my foot in the door. Did you ever think that you'd be this far along from that moment when you sent out all those DMs, uh, no. was messaging people, calling? <laughs> Not at all. Um, Because, you know, you hear about the grind that, you know, I've moved to L.A. and uh, you know, 15 years later, I finally got my first break. Um, and so I've been in LA going on four years this August, and I've had such a whirlwind of experiences since then. I've gotten further than I ever thought I would have in less than four years. Uh, one of the main shows that made me want to move to LA was Insecure, one of my all-time favorite shows. Issa Rae is like my idol. And um, within a year of moving to L.A., I was a PA on season five of Insecure. And I got to meet Issa. Um, and then by then, my mentor, Mike Goyo, was already uh, writing on Insecure. And so by the time that wrapped, Mike and one of the actors from Insecure, Jean Ali, who played Issa's younger brother, uh, he and Mike are uh, good friends. And they went on to create a show for all black. And so uh, right as I wrapped Insecure, actually the same, the last week of Insecure was my first week working for Send Help, <clears throat> Mike and Jean's show. And so I got to be a showrunner's assistant and then I got to co-write one of the episodes of Send Help. And I got to then be bumped up to associate producer on Send Help. <clears throat> so again, all of this within such a very, short period of time um and then being one of mike's uh first ever mentees when he eventually went on to create the black boy rights and black girl rights mentorship initiative um through that i actually got an agent um uh, at the end of the program year for the uh initiative all of the mentees have a chance to be read by mike's representation and we were or i was a part of the very first class um, in 2021. And so I then got an agent. Um, and then actually just a couple months ago, I got a manager as well. And through that, um, I've been in some pretty 
um, let's just say interesting conversations. I'm hoping that, you know, let's just say knock on wood, some very great things will be happening soon. Okay. Um, I can't say too much, but yeah, I'm very, very excited about, um, you know, some of the uh, rooms I've been sitting in and meetings I've been having. Um, and of course, right now there's a writer's strike going on, but um, at the end of it, I'm really hoping to just continue moving forward and uh, carrying on this um, positive experience I've been having so far and getting into another writer's room. That's... Um... I mean, what you've already accomplished is pretty impressive. I'm also a huge fan of Easter Rage. You can see her book in the back. Yeah, I see it. <laughs> Mine is downstairs. Oh, it's a great book. Um, yeah. But yeah, like for you to honestly, like I said, step out on faith because you didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. You kind of just like, all right, I guess we're going to do it. And the worst that could happen is I don't find something and I'll just go mm -hmm. back home. <laughs> um, yeah. But with the writer strike going on. First of all, what is it for those who don't really understand what that is? And then does that impact you? Or how does that impact you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, whenever um, the environment for writers isn't uh, you know, conducive to just being able to live, being able to write successfully, uh, we go on strike. The Writers Guild of America initiates a strike just as any other company or organization can strike against whoever, um, you know, their, their powers that be are. And so in this case, the writers are looking for, in a nutshell, mm -hmm. uh, better pay, like we should be able to live, yeah. uh, especially in one of the most expensive places in the world. Um, and we should be able to also work in a friendly environment, mm -hmm. um, productive environment. And so if, you know, someone uh, creates a writer's room and it's, let's say it's one of those mini rooms mm -hmm. where you have to crank out an entire season of television in just a few weeks, and there's only a, a handful of y'all in there, meaning more work on fewer people, that's not fair. That's not a fair practice. Or um, if I remember correctly, the last writer's strike was maybe like a decade ago, I want to say, or a little bit yeah, more. 2008 or something like that. Yeah. For all the folks that think this is just primarily something that's taking place like out west or in a certain specific area of the world, this is going on. This happens a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Just to put that in perspective, this mm -hmm. just isn't in this one area that everybody just assumes, oh, that's just happening there. No, this right. happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's happening. Of course, you know, there's a lot of it happening here in Hollywood, but, you know, there's a Writers Guild West and East. Mm -hmm. um, I just saw a, a Twitter post about someone who was uh, at a strike down in Georgia um, where some uh, uh, productions were filming. So mm -hmm. um, it's happening all over. And um, yeah, and since that last major writer strike, there's been the rise of streamers, Netflix, Hulu, uh, I keep wanting to call it HBO Max, but Max now. Yeah, they changed. Um, right. Um, you know, so many different streamers are out here and that wasn't, that didn't exist at the time. And so now, you know, it, sh it shouldn't be that a show can generate hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue for a streamer, but a writer doesn't see any of that money. Right. Um, get paid, you know, 
pennies to the dollar or they don't um, get any residuals where someone can watch that show on Netflix, let's say, you know, for eternity is on there for as long as they want to keep it. But a writer never makes residuals for as long as people are watching that show. And so um, the writers are on strike for fairer treatment, fairer pay. And uh, I'm not in the guild yet, but completely support. I was at a few different um, uh, demonstrations or strikes um, recently and, uh, you know, standing in solidarity with the other writers. Mm -hmm. I always find it interesting that people who are in uh, careers where it benefits others. So for you, you're a writer and that's tell that's TV and film mm -hmm. teachers, social workers, things like that. We don't get paid or appreciated the way that we should, but you know, Hey, yeah. you know, a lot of people are thinking that, Oh, you're a writer for a television show. You must make a bajillion dollars, but you have to pay out so many other people on top of taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, and then again, if some unless you get to a very high position, you don't make relatively a lot of money, especially in a very expensive state. And so, you know, it's it can be hard, you know, and then, you know, to go a step further, um, if you're an emerging writer, especially such as myself, you know, you get staffed once, you know, or staff meaning you get um, hired to write for a television show. And then you, once that ends, you kind of go back to the grind. It's not like, oh yeah, you know, you did it once. You're a veteran, jump onto the next show, take your pick. It's, you have to fight and fight against everyone else in Hollywood to get that next gig. You might not work for the rest of that year. And so whatever money you made, you have to make it last for the entire year, um, possibly more. Um, and then it's like, all right, time to go, you know, pick up other jobs and do whatever you have to do when, again, Netflix is still making hundreds of millions off of what you just wrote. Um, or if it's a, a small show or not a small show, a small room, and it's like, all right, we only have X amount in our budget to hire writers because we chose to do a mini writer's room. So I'm just going to hire all my friends instead of, you know, vetting out yeah. you know, the talent and everything. So it's it's a lot. And so we're, and don't even get me started on AI. That's a whole nother yeah. piece yeah. that we're um, fighting back and forth on because at times negotiations have almost seemed like they're going to reach at least somewhat of a start of a settlement. But one of the things, you know, some of these companies have held out on is uh, choosing to use AI to replace human writers. But yeah. A computer can't write down the memories and experiences a person has had. If I wanted to do a story about my Gullah Geechee grandparents in Georgetown, South Carolina, a machine can't do that. Right. So, you know, they can't capture the life of John Henry Gathers. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that we're out here uh, looking to just make fair. And, and Josh, I just wanted you to talk about a little bit of, I know you did say you, you were becoming a part of the Guild, of course, networking with folks that are like-minded like yourself. Um, I just want you to talk about the importance of, you know, networking once you got out there. Uh, I just wanted to you to expound a little bit more. I know you mentioned the strike uh, mm -hmm. and just being around like-minded people uh, and just tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the similarities you've seen mm -hmm. 
in yourself that you see in other people yeah. that are in the same situation. Yeah, for sure. Um, Hollywood is all about networking. You know, they I've always heard the uh, saying, it's not about what you know, it's who you know. And that's never applied more than when I moved here because it's your connections that can get you that gig or it's being nice to that assistant that's going to help you get the meeting. Um, and sometimes it's just bumping into somebody when you're at the bar. Uh, there's been plenty of times where I've been in a bar and I turn around and I'm like, you're on TV. <laughs> and um, uh, and just always, I believe at least, trying to be friendly. Um, what's weird is some of the first advice I got out here, I got when I moved out here was, you need to stop being so friendly. You're not in the South anymore. You don't need to be polite. You know, drop your manners. It's a dog eat dog world, but it's what's gotten me so far because for one, I guess people aren't used to it. And so it always feels new to them. But also, again, it's just about not just making connections, but maintaining connections, investing in other people. Um, like I said, when I first started this journey, even before I moved to LA, every few months, just reaching out, hey, hope you're well. Hey, just checking in. Oh, I saw you had a, a baby on Instagram. Congrats. You know, the the little sweet potato was just so cute. You know, just, just always trying to reach out to people and stay in touch with people. It's all about networking. And eventually those same people are going to say, oh, I heard about this gig. I'm going to put my uh, uh, a recommendation in for you. Or, hey, remember that time you stayed up with me uh, till four in the morning working on my script or helping me outline this or that time you spent an entire weekend being a PA on my short film and all I paid you uh, was a, a few tacos. My short film just took off. They're turning it into a feature. Do you want to join in? Like it's always about, you know, just reaching out, not just reaching up, but reaching out to those around you because you're friends and you need to make your friends. You need to have your tribe, as they say, one of y'all is going to take off. And when one of you make it, all of you can make it as long as you keep those connections and have genuine connections. Cause of course everyone is out here kind of using other people. It's like, Oh, you know him. I need to be your friend. Oh, you work there. I need to be your friend. Everyone here is doing that. It's about just having someone in your corner and being in their corner on a genuine basis on a true heartfelt basis. Cause it's hard out here. It's, doing a lot of work in your own time, let alone for someone else mm -hmm. for very little pay, sometimes little to no reward in hopes that you'll take off. And one of the things that can make or break you is having a good core group of friends, having your writer's group, having a mentor, just some sort of connection. It's always about networking. And I like that. You said reaching out and not just reaching up. I like that. I can't, I have to say that's not my quote. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that's a Issa Rae, Amy Aniobi, um quote, but I still use it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, it's true, though. Um, mm -hmm. I think maybe when you before you moved out to L.A., you reaching out to them on just like a more personable level, mm -hmm. probably humanize them versus them feeling like you're just reaching out for an opportunity. You mm -hmm. I mean, that, too, but also just checking in is nice as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's how you build those genuine connections. Mm -hmm. So you've worked on All Black and Amazon Amazon Prime's um, Sin mm -hmm. Help. You've worked mm -hmm. on Insecure. 
what would you say is like your dream project? If you can share that. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, someday outside of my own productions, a Joshua L. Myers production. Um, that's my, that's like my writer's name, Joshua L. Myers. Um, right now I'm so obsessed with Abbott Elementary. I'm sure that's like everybody's answer right now because it's just a phenomenal show, but I'm so obsessed with that show and it is just such good writing. It's heartfelt. It's culturally and even geographically specific, um, but it's also still like universally relatable. And it also reaches out to and highlights a community and a population that never gets their praise. You were talking earlier about, you know, teachers being some of the people that don't get their praise or their money. And that show just shows you a glimpse of what it's like to be someone on the other side, um, especially in an underfunded school. And they do it in a way without picking on anyone, even if they need to highlight an issue or, you know, have like their um, comedic relief, you know, character, no one comes across as being picked on or stereotyped. Um, everyone is on that show is just based out of love. And I'm, it would be a dream to write on that show. Yeah. They make the hard conversations funny. Yes. And that exactly. I can always appreciate. Yes. Definitely. They need a spin off. <laughs> I would I'll write on that too. <laughs> yeah, so this does reach the ears of somebody. Reach out to Josh. Anything is possible. So if somebody tunes in, knows somebody that knows somebody, reach yeah. out to Josh. Yeah. <laughs> um, His information will be in the below in the link. Everybody <laughs> knows somebody that knows somebody mm -hmm. that is with that. Reach out to Josh. I received Put it. it. In. <laughs> um, I had one last question before we um, let you go. What is one piece of advice that you have for up-and-coming writers? Mm. That's a good question. I would say to invest in yourself, which looks like a lot of different things, but I mean, unless you're just this revolutionary maverick or you just are that one in a billion person, you're not going to come out here and make it overnight. You're not going to, you know, be sitting on a plane and look over and like Ryan Murphy's next to you and it's like, hey, read the script and I'm going to, you know, buy it, which I think actually happened with uh, his uh, show uh, Ratchet on Netflix, I believe. Something like that happened with the person who created that show and then happened to be like next to Ryan Murphy. But anyway, that's so rare. That is so yeah. rare. It's those times where you are working on your script. It's four in the morning. Your alarm is going to be going off at six to go to your nine to five. But you have to put in your hours. You have to read every script you can come across. You have to watch the same episode of a television show five different times because you need to watch it once as a fan and then four more times as a student and figure out why they chose that dialogue, why they chose that camera angle, um, why the people are wearing the colors that they are. Um, every little thing matters. You have to read the books. You have to take the webinar. Sometimes you have to tell somebody you're gonna be in LA in two days and then spend that money on <laughs> on a plane ticket and get yeah. your behind in LA. 
Like you have to do whatever you can because best believe there are 5,000 other people doing everything they can to take your spot, especially in a world where nowadays diversity can mean uh, being a a white woman. It's like, all right, we, we checked our box. It's like, <laughs> she's a woman. It's like, okay, but you know, the black woman, the brown woman, the the queer woman, the woman in a, uh, the woman who's differently able, like we all need our spots too. And we're all unfortunately forced to compete for the same spot. So if someone else is putting in a thousand percent, you have to put in a million because you're fighting against other ambitious people and other very privileged people. Because again, once you start making those connections, you can be I mean, you can honestly be like the worst writer in Hollywood, but you might know the right person. Yeah. And so you have to invest in yourself, whatever that means, financially, time-wise. Um, you know, like myself, I, for the minute of time, you know, I'm, I'm a shy person, but when I get out here, closed mouths don't get fed. So I have to go to the mixers. I have to go to the different events. And I can't just stand in the corner and be like, hi, somebody talk to me. I have to make myself walk up to somebody and say, hi, I'm Joshua L. Myers, and this is why you need to know me. Like, it's those moments. You have to make somebody remember your name. Um, you have to take the time to work on your scripts, because again, that book I wrote, that's not going to go anywhere. That I look back at <laughs> some of that writing, and I was like, what was I, what was I going through? What was I thinking? <laughs> like, <laughs> you have to constantly work at yourself, because the writer you are right now you'll be stronger a year from now. And that increases your chances of getting hired. And then more importantly, getting hired again. So invest in yourself. Yeah. That, yes. I, I don't have anything else to add to that. Period, <laughs> exclamation point. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you, Joshua L. Myers, for joining us today for the <laughs> conversation. Um, it was very refreshing and enlightening at the same time. Oh, thank you. Um, I somebody knows somebody. <laughs> make sure to include um, his information down low if you want to reach out to him for some advice um, if you want to talk more. I have been Nation D. <laughs> and I've been Jay Stan. Join us every other Friday at noon. Always remember to like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs>